And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is February 24th, 55th day of the year. 310 days remain till the year is over with. And as I was requested, I'm going to talk about what holidays fall on today. It's National Tortilla Chip Day. Whether you eat them plain or you dip them in salsa of some sort. There's the Discover Girl Day, which encourages young girls to pursue their engineering dreams. And there's Drago Beat Day. That's a Romanian holiday. How about Edward Dickinson Baker Day? He was an Oregon Civil War hero, a lawyer, military leader. It's uh, an important event to commemorate. Uh, He was uh, known for his decades-long friendship with Abraham Lincoln. And... uh, Dickinson Baker was born on uh, this date in uh, 1811. It's Estonia Independence Day, Mexican Flag Day, Friday Fish Fried Day, International Stand Up to Bullying Day, National Skip the Straw Day. Now, a straw, a plastic straw especially, is uh, something considered evil in the Republic of California. National Tartar Sauce Day. National Trading Card Day. Uh, Twin Peaks Day. It's ranked among the greatest TV shows ever made. How about World Bartender Day? That's a day that ALC ought to love. And Yukon Heritage Day. Now, interestingly enough, there have been uh, quite a number of other things happening in history on this particular date. In 484, King Huneric of the Vandals replaces Nicene bishops with Aryan ones and banishes some to Corsica which was considered in those days a fate worse than death. 1303, the English are defeated at the Battle of Roslyn in the First War of Scottish Independence. 1386, King Charles III of Naples and Hungary is assassinated at Buda. 1527, saw the coronation of Ferdinand I as the King of Bohemia. Took place in Prague. 1597, the last battle of the Cudgel War takes place on uh, Santa Vuan Hill in Imojoki. 1607, Lower Tale by Caldier Monteverdi, one of the first works recognized as an opera. It's its premier performance on this date. 1711, 
Rinaldo by George Frederick Handel, the first Italian opera written for the London stage, is premiered. 1739, Battle of Karnal. The army of Iranian ruler Nader Shah defeats the forces of the Mughal Emperor of India, Muhammad Shah. In 1803, the Supreme Court in Marbury v. Madison established the principle of judicial review. No matter what the people want, no matter what the people vote for, some 200-year-old man who's got a job for life can set it aside because he doesn't like it. 1809, London's Drury Lane Theatre burst to the ground, leaving its owner, Irish writer and politician Richard Brinsley, uh, Sheridan, a destitute. 1826, the signing of the Treaty of Yandabo marks the end of the First Anglo-Burmese War. There's all kinds of wars that nobody's ever heard about. What if they held a war and nobody came? 1831, the Treaty of Dancing Rabbit Creek. First removal treaty in accordance with the Indian Removal Act is proclaimed. The Choctaws in Mississippi cede land east of the river in exchange for payment and land in the west. 1848, King Louis Philippe of France abdicates the throne. 1854, a stamp called the Penny Red with perforations becomes the first perforated postage stamp to be officially issued for distribution. In 1863, Arizona is organized as a U.S. territory. 1868, um, and this is probably done by an ancestor of Schiff, Andrew Johnson becomes the first president of the U.S. to be impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives. He was acquitted in the Senate. 1975, the SS Gothenburg hits the Great Barrier Reef and sinks off the Australian East Coast. Kills about 100, including a number of high-profile civil servants and dignitaries. 1881, China and Russia signed the Sino-Russian Treaty. 1895, revolution breaks out in Barry, a town near Santiago de Cuba, beginning the Cuban War of Independence. That war ends along with the Spanish-American War in 1898. 1916, the Governor-General Korea establishes a clinic called Heiwan in Sorokdo to segregate the Hansen's disease patients. When in doubt, lock them up. 1917, World War I, U.S. Ambassador Walter Heinz Page to the U.K. has given the Zimmerman telegram. In that telegram, Germany pledges to ensure the return into Mexico, Texas, and Arizona to Mexico if Mexico will declare war on the U.S. in support of Germany. Now, there's still arguments about whether the Zimmerman telegram was a will, real or a forgery. But frankly, it didn't matter. It uh, upset a whole lot of people. 1920, Nancy Astor becomes the first woman to speak in the House of Commons of the UK following her election as a member of Parliament three months before. On this day in 1920, the Nazi Party was founded by Adolf Hitler in the Hofbrauhaus Beer Hall in Munich, Germany. 
1942, 791 Romanian Jewish refugees and crew members were killed after the MV Struma was torpedoed by the Soviet Navy. 1942, on this date, was the famed Battle of Los Angeles. I'm doing a book about that. In fact, I've already done one. I'm going to do a bigger book. And uh, the anti-aircraft barrage against supposed invading uh, Japanese aircraft lasted in the early hours of February 25th. 1945, Egyptian Premier Ahmad Mahir Pasha is killed in Parliament after reading a decree. 1946, Colonel Juan Perón, founded a political movement that became known as Peronism, is elected to his first term as President of Argentina. He uh, brought in a lot of money, contraband, and uh, escaping Nazis. He became known for that. 1949 saw the Armistice Agreement signed to formally end the hostilities of the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. 1967, Culture Revolution, Zhang Chunquo announces the dissolution of the Shanghai People's Commune, replacing its local government with a revolutionary committee. 1968, during Vietnam, the Tet Offensive was halted. South Vietnamese forces, led by Nao Quang Truong, recaptured the citadel of Hue. 1976, the 76th Constitution of Cuba is formally proclaimed. 1978, the Yerba County Five, a group of young men from Yerba County, California, with mild intellectual disabilities or psychiatric conditions, attended the college basketball game at California State University at Chico. Four of them were later found dead, and the fifth has never been found. Several days after their initial disappearance, the, the group's car, Mercury Montego, was found abandoned in a remote area of uh, Plumas National Forest in California on a high mountain dirt road that was far out of their way back to Yuba City. Nobody could figure out why the car was there or why it had been abandoned. It was in good working order. could easily have been pushed out of the snowpack it was in. And uh, after the snow melted in June of 1978, uh, four of the men's bodies were found in or near the, a trailer camp used by backpackers as shelter deep in the forest, 20 miles from the car. Only bones were left of the three bodies in the woods as a result of scavenging animals, but uh, the one that got to the trailer, Ted uh, Ware, apparently lived for as long as three months after the men were last seen. In spite of an apple supply of food and heating material nearby, he starved to death. He was missing his shoes, and investigators found uh, uh, Matthias's shoes uh, in the nearby woods, suggesting Matthias also survived for some time beyond the, the last night that was seen alive. Well, it's a mystery that will never be solved. 1981, a 6.7 Gulf of 
Corinth earthquake affected uh, central Greece with a maximum Mercalli intensity of 8, which is considered severe. 22 people were killed, 400 were injured, damage totaled $812 million. Um, 1983, 40 years too late, a special commission of the U.S. Congress condemns the Japanese-American internment during World War II. 84, Tyrone Mitchell perpetrates the 49th Street Elementary School shooting in L.A., kills two children and injures 12 more. 1989, United Airlines flight 811 bound for New Zealand from Honolulu rips open during flight. Nine passengers in the business class section have blown out of the plane. And I can tell you from experience, flapping your arms on the way down doesn't help. 1991, Gulf War, ground troops crossing the Saudi Arabian border and enter Iraq, beginning the ground phase of the war. 1996, two civilian airplanes operated by the Miami-based group Brothers to the Rescue are shot down in international waters by the Cuban Air Force. That was kept rather quiet at the time. 1999, China Southwest Airlines Flight 4509, a Tupelo TU-154 aircraft, crashes on approach to Wenzhou Long Island International Airport in Wenzhou, uh, Zhejiang, China. All 61 people on board are killed. 2004, 6.3 Al-Husimi earthquake strikes northern Morocco with a maximum Mercalli intensity of 9, which is considered violent. At least 628 people are killed, 926 are injured, and up to 15,000 lose their homes. 2006, Philippine President Gloria Arroyo Declares Proclamation 1017, placing the country in a state of emergency. That was in an attempt to subdue what she believed was a possible military coup. 2007, Japan launches its fourth spy satellite, stepping up its ability to monitor potential threats such as North Korea. 2008, Fidel Castro retires as the president of Cuba and the Council of Ministers after 32 years. Now, he did remain as head of the Communist Party for another three years. 2015, a Metrolink train derails in Oxnard, California. That's following a collision with a truck. More than 30 people were injured. 2015, excuse me, 2016, Tower Air Flight 193 of the Haviland Canada D8C6 Twin Otter aircraft crashes with 23 fatalities. Uh, that took place in Mayagdi um, District, flying route from Polkara Airport to Johnson Airport. 2020, Maya here, Mohammed resides as Prime Minister of Malaysia following an attempt to replaced the Pakistan, excuse me, the Pakistan Harapan government, which triggered the 2020-2022 uh, Malaysian political crisis. And on this day in 2022, 
days after recognizing Donetsk and Luhansk as independent states, Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered a full-scale invasion of Ukraine that was supposed to take just a few days to overrun that, company, that country. It's been going on for a year. Well, with all that having been said, we've been talking about a lot of strange things. And, of course... What very few people seem to understand. This is a very strange planet. There's a lot of things that happen. Happen that we don't know anything about. There's a lot of unsolved mysteries. Now... If you look at the UFO community, according to the cooling planet Earth could have reached the life support stage hundreds of millions of years ago, and it could well have been uh, inhabited while it was in the the orbit that uh, is now uh, filled by uh, Venus. If Mars was then in the Earth orbit, it could have also supported life. But as it was pushed further into space by the approach of Earth, the Martians either died out or forced to make radical biological adjustments to their environment. Many of them probably moved to Florida. Now, if the Earth did begin in another orbit and undergo the changes been postulated by scientists recently. It may have originally began in, in, a, in an orbit um, uh, just outside of Mercury's orbit and then was eventually pushed further and further until it's now where it's at. Now, according to scientists, it may have been even more unstable than it is now Cataclysmic occurrences may have been logical. If you remember, we talked about Velikovsky and his uh, theories. He pointed out that human folklore has recorded many such catastrophes, including a period when the entire Earth was bathed in darkness for three or more days. And he postulated that the Earth may have followed an Olympic orbit that carried it as far away from the sun it was plunged into darkness, and then it looped back before it fell into the present orbit. Now the elementals, or the perihumans, or whatever you want to call them, have constantly told occultists and UFO contactees that mankind began on Venus, and that uh, orbitable changes have taken place in the past and are going to occur in the future. On April 24, 1964, a farmer named Gary... Uh, Wilcox was said to have had a two-hour conversation with a pair of faceless little men from a flying saucer in the field near Newark Valley, New York. Among the other things that they told him was the fact that uh, the Earth would soon be where Mars is now. 
Now, many flying saucer books have followed the premise the Earth was originally seeded by beings from outer space. A man has always assumed that the frequently observed pair of humans had to originate from beyond our planet or even from beyond our solar system. Some say even outside our space-time continuum. Otto Bender wrote a book called Flying Saucers Are Watching Us, and that dealt with, at length with the theories of an engineer named Max Flint. And Flint proposed that man is a hybrid from the union of ancient spacemen and an early species of man-ape who existed according to anthropological finds as long as two million years ago. Now, more orthodox scientists have struggled for the past couple of hundred years to find a provable system of evolution to account for man's appearance. And before you point at Darwin's theory of evolution... Think about the name of it. It's a theory. It has never been proven. The commonly accepted view is that man was a mere animal for thousands of years. And suddenly he developed intelligence and consciousness and evolved from a low hairy animal to his present exalted status of low hairless animal. The mythical missing link of the Sunday supplements is supposed to be the animal that bridged the two orders of life. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke, when he wrote uh, 2001, solved the problem by having a sudden outside influence appear in the midst of a group of apes. And this outside influence led him to discover tools, mainly clubs, and they began bashing in each other's heads. Now, there are really only three primary theories for the origin of man. One... The original, the uh, religious theory, man was created by some greater intelligence through the manipulation of physical matter and energy. Two, the cultist theory. Man migrated to earth from some other planet or he was seated here by some other race or he was produced when some other race crossbred with earthly, earthly animals and produced the present strain of Homo sapiens. And three, there's the theory of evolution, where a series of random chemical and biological accidents took place over a period of millions of years, and man slowly evolved from lower life forms. Now, billions of people have believed and still believe in supernatural creation. Few Megan accept Darwin's theory of evolution. Only a few thousand even willing to consider the seeded idea. And frankly, the real truth may be a combination of all three. Of the three, evolution is actually the weakest and most difficult to support. Evolution adequately explains the development of living species, the process of natural selection and other things, but it fails to provide a, a, a rational and provable explanation for the process of creation itself. Of course, scientists... Shrug this off with a statement about how bolts of lightning struck puddles of chemicals and induced life. Maybe. But if such a lightning process were true, then it would be still continuing. 
and it should be easy to duplicate in our laboratories. Now, the fact that it's not a discernible continuing process, I mean, new species are not appearing all the time, and we haven't managed to duplicate it, certainly weakens the concept. Japanese have myths and legends which claim that their islands were first settled by beings who descended from the sky. In fact, these stories are an integral part of the Japanese culture. Eskimos believe they were somehow flown to the Arctic Circle in ancient times. Natives of the Sahara Desert have folklore about blue-skinned people from the sky who had such impact that uh, certain tribes still dyed their skins blue in emulation of the ancient cosmic beings. And deep in the, the Bayankara'ula Mountains of China, there's a tribe of diminutive people about four feet high. Hieroglyphics found in that region on the border of China and Tibet by Russian archaeologists um, frankly add further to the confusion. When translated, these records describe how members of the, the Dropa tribe came to earth with some, in uh, some kind of flying machine. And the stone disk bearing these inscriptions have been dated at about 12,000 years ago. Ancient uh, graves have been found containing small human bodies with huge craniums and undeveloped skeletons. I mean, frankly, there is a, a staggering amount of historical and archaeological evidence to support the seeded notion. While the evolutionists are obliged to fall back on a few fragments of fossils and amount of conjecture. The concept of supernatural creation is wholly dependent on the religious text and the testimony of the ultra-terrestrials. I mean, the story of Adam and Eve can be found in the ancient writings of the Greeks and the Syrians and the Egyptians, Abyssinians, Hebrews, and many other ancient people. Like the tales of the flood and the ark, the, the Garden of Eden is a universal myth. Unlike the flood stories, it seems to be largely allegorical. Archaeologists digging in the Middle East have found the artifacts that indicate that the Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon, and modern man all existed during the same time period. So this not only shoots down the theory of evolution, but it suggests that modern man, a creature with a conscious and a consciousness, was separate and distinct from primitive man. If we ever managed to assemble a more accurate history of Earth, we would find that modern man is the descendant of survivors of some earlier civilization that existed thousands or maybe even millions of years ago. And he has no direct biological linkage with the lower animals at all. Now, we can't ignore the possibility Earth was originally colonized by beings from some other point in space. <coughs> Excuse me. Historians and Archaeologists are troubled by the fact that mankind seems to have appeared quite suddenly on his uh, on this particular planet. Either we were placed here, perhaps stranded here, at some point between thirty and seventy thousand years ago, or we were created in some fashion millions of years ago after the Earth itself had been created and had passed through many ages during which it uh, supported different kinds of non-human life. Now, the process of creation is explained in religious and occult texts, 
We're told that the first man, Adam, was an androgynous being directly linked with the supermind of the universe. He was a temporary transmogrification of energy, an ultra-terrestrial who became locked into a physical form. And once this descent occurred, he was given a mate so he could reproduce. Now, the Earth was already inhabited by two distinct life forms. There was primitive animals, which might have included cavemen as well as lower beasts. Maybe the cavemen were an earlier experiment that was failing. There were also thousands, if not millions, of non-physical beings from the world of higher frequencies who occupied the Earth by sharing the same space with the planet. These beings may have been free from the greater intelligence. Others refer to them as fallen angels. Or they may have been under the control of a lesser intelligence. In any case, the Earth was their personal playground. And they made no bones about the fact that they owned it. A British scholar named Brinsley Lepour Trench has studied the ancient scripture carefully and produced two interesting books. One is called The Sky People. The other is called Men Among Mankind. To explain his theories, he describes and defines the people of the serpent. These people may have been the, the fallen angels or devils who let a plague date him and Eve. If they felt they were the owners of the earth, they may have greatly resented this new flock of ultra-terrestrials. And they may have uh, conspired to lead Adam and Eve to um, destruction by getting uh, them to violate the orders of their overlord. So a battle was shaping up. A lesser group of ultra-terrestrials is in possession of the earth bunch of newcomers invade the planet, and despite their ruling intelligence, uh, its plan, apparently a very long-range plan, um, they were going to wrest the Earth from its owners. Masses of energy can't fight with bombs and bullets and arrows. They need a physical battlefield and physical armies. The whole thing has to be played out, just like some gigantic chess game. So the first step is to create the necessary physical army. And of course, tactics have to be invented so the physical army uh, can overthrow the non-physical owners. And this is where things become complex. If several different superintelligences were involved... Then one group of ultra-terrestrials would descend or be materialized in Japan and China, bearing the specific racial characteristics imposed on them by their overlord. Another overlord would put his soldiers in Africa. Another would create Indians in North and South America, and so on and so forth. It was a massive game. So in the beginning, one superintelligence may have tried to utilize the Neanderthal men as a physical army. Ultra-terrestrials were sent down the frequency scale to help guide the cavemen and to facilitate communication between the ultra-terrestrials and the Neanderthal men. The tall, blonde, normally sexist ultra-terrestrials were made to more closely resemble their primitive 
uh, contacts. They were given sexes, but were forbidden to participate in the the pleasurable the pleasurable rites of sex. Represented by what we come have come to know as the tree of knowledge. Now the serpent people were sometimes able to control groups of cavemen and managed to trick some of the ultra-terrestrials into breaking their chastity. In fact, the ultra-terrestrials engaged in sexual intercourse with cave women. The uh, this crossbreeding, if you will, between the ultra-terrestrials, represented by the uh, Adam, is actually suggested in Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 34, where it relates a miraculous birth. Isaac's barren wife, Rebekah, suddenly conceives, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two men are people. Shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And Rebekah gave birth to twins, and one, Esau, came out red all over like a, she was wearing a hairy garment. And later on, Esau sold his uh, birthright to Jacob. And this, this crossbreeding, if you will, produced very strange responses in uh, the nervous systems of the entities. Emotions were born, frequencies were changed, the direct control of the superintelligence was driven from their bodies. In fact, they were trapped on the earth and able to ascend to the electromagnetic scale and reenter their etheric world. And with this loss of control, they became literally animals, although highly intelligent animals. And since the ultra-terrestrials' memories are a part of the greater intelligence, the loss of contact meant the complete loss of their former identity. They were literally locked on this planet. Leaderless. In a totally strange and hostile environment. Now, the first ultra-terrestrials to be trapped became the, the first real men. They had to learn to hunt and kill and build fires and build houses. They were literally lost. The victim of the uh, first um, battles between the serpent people and the ultimate intelligence... Now, the serpent people, according to legend, attacked man in various ways, trying to rid the planet of him. But the superintelligence was still able to look over man. And new, more tightly controlled ultra-terrestrials were sent to offer advice and assistance. Earliest man was told to, uh, in carefully uh, simplified ways of his origin and purpose, the superintelligence became what we call God. Early man worshipped him in many ways and under many names. God worked out new ways of communication and control, always in conflict with the serpent people. 
Now, much is made of the fact that Adam and Eve were terrified by the, the first night. That indicates that they were used to a world that was always light. They didn't know what to make of a world without light. I mean, it's perhaps as ultra-terrestrials ever accustomed to total vision or perception of all the frequencies. I mean, life on those higher planes would be bathed in continuous radiation. There'd be no night or there wouldn't be any day. Time as such wouldn't exist. Now, Adam and Eve were not only trapped on this little mud ball, also caught up in a world that moved in a single direction through the field of time. And it's what it takes to getting used to. Even if they couldn't remember their previous existence as ultra-terrestrials. Through intercourse with the existing cave people, the fallen ultra-terrestrials uh, produced the, the new race we come to call man. They were the, the missing link, so to speak. And in many ways, all three of our Hypothesis for the origin of man, under this scenario, actually become correct. Evolution is involved, extraterrestrial descent is involved, and creation is involved. Now, in some parts of the world, the serpent people successfully posed as gods and imitated the techniques of the superintelligence. And this led to the formation of pagan, pagan religions centered around human sacrifice. The conflict as far as man himself was concerned, became one of religion and races. Whole civilizations, based on the worship of these false gods, rose and fell in Asia and Africa and South America. The battleground had been chosen and the, the mode of conflict had been decided. And the human race would supply the pawns. The mode of control was complicated as usual. Human beings were largely free of direct control. Each individual had to consciously commit himself to one of the opposing forces. And after that uh, commitment was made voluntarily, the chosen force could uh, possess the individual to uh, some degree. The ultra-terrestrials were very carefully explained this process to the early priests who interpreted it and tried to pass it on to their followers. And this gave rise to the concept of baptism. The main battle was what became was to become known as the, the human soul. Now, once an individual committed himself, he opened a door so that an indefinable something uh, probably an undetectable mass of intelligent energy could actually enter his body and exercise some control over his subconscious mind. And this soul is directly linked to the superintelligence and with all the similar souls making uh, possible mental telepathy, prophetic dreams, and all kinds of other mental wonders. And these those thousands of cases in which this subconscious force lapped uh, over into the conscious world, we find uh, destructive uh, fanaticism and obsession. If the controlling intelligence was anti-human, the stricken individual suffers from 
insanity uh, or commits criminal actions, social disorders, and so on and so forth. If the soul abandons a living body, and total disorientation would conceivably be the result. body might enter a mindless catatonic trance. Persons with an advanced uh, soul could consciously eject it from their bodies for short periods and indulge in what's known as astral projection. body would appear to be dead, or almost dead, during this period of desertion. Yeah, astral projection literature um, available tells us about a silver cord that seems to connect the free-flying soul with the sleeping body. If that cord is cut or broken, soul can't re-enter the body and it dies or it's possessed by the evil ones. Astral projection has claimed that sometimes when they come back to their body, they find a dark elemental elemental engulfing it, trying to possess it during their absence, and they have to fight the evil thing off. The validity of astral projection is debatable, of course. But let's suppose for a moment it's a genuine phenomena. Some people can project themselves consciously and remember the experience, and it's also possible that many others project their souls when they're asleep. They're never aware of what they're doing. Deliberated souls fly about, maybe rendezvousing with other souls to receive orders or go through some kind of programming process. If the soul is some kind of ultra-high frequency energy, then it would be visible to sensitive peoples, a blob of faint light in the night sky. In other words, some of the UFOs we've seen might be astral travelers. You know, flying saucer contactees usually end up talking about souls and reincarnation and such things as karma. The UFO entities try to convey the truth about reincarnation to the people they approach. Now, not many of these people are able to properly interpret what they're told. Several major religions, particularly in the Orient, are based on the uh, principles of reincarnation. In Tibet, when a Dalai Lama dies, the priests go out and Scour the mountains searching for a small child who possesses certain birthmarks and other things which would identify him as a reincarnated reincarnated High Lama. And sometimes this search goes on for years. When a likely prospect is finally found, several religious and personal articles are spread out in front of him. The child goes in there and leaves those items that have been owned by the, the dead Dalai Lama. He's declared he's the, to be the new ruler. The system works and been in use for centuries. Though now I understand that the Chinese who dominate Tibet have said the next Dalai Lama must be a member of the Communist Party. Now there are hundreds of carefully investigated and Authenticated cases of reincarnation, and as might be inspect, as might be expected, majority of these occur in India and other countries where belief in karma runs very high. Usually, small children are involved, and these children recall completely their previous life in a distant village. And when investigators take them to that village, they recognize everything and everybody. Have a tearful reunion with their former family and. 
or even able to describe in detail how they died. Now, actually, true reincarnation is impossible. Memory is stored by an electrical system in the brain. When the brain dies, all memories are canceled out because the power is gone. Our personalities, egos, emotional structure, memories are all part of the brain's complex circuitry. The brain dies very quickly, as soon as the oxygen supply is cut off. The circuitry dies with it, like a radio being turned off. If the soul is merely a mass of high-frequency energy, it wouldn't retain either memory or personality. When the body, or the host, uh, dies... This massive energy be liberated either to rejoin the main intelligence of which it's always been a part or finally possess a new host. It wouldn't carry along any memory of its previous body or previous life. However, the uh, computer-like superintelligence would have a complete memory of that other life stored somewhere inside it. It could feed that information to another brain by channeling it through uh, any soul at random person recalling a past life under hypnosis, and there have been thousands of cases of this, might actually just be tuning his subconscious into the central computer, so to speak. There may be some subtle need on the superintelligence's part to bring about uh, interest and investigation into a specific past life. So the hypnotized person is fed the information. In philosophy, we're told that uh, all cases of reincarnation are the work of mischievous spirits known as uh, engrafters. An engrafter swoops down on an uncommitted soul and possesses it, feeding a complete memory of a past life into the brain. Main information passed along to its contactees is uh, simply that the human body provides a host for a fragment of this undefinable soul energy. Major religious uh, religions have been telling us about this for thousands of years, pointing out that the human race supplies the shells for souls. Man's ego has demanded he embellish this truth by uh, adding the belief that his pitiful personality is worthy of preservation and his memories and personality go along with the soul. The uh, anti-human group have made a game of this belief at millions of seances, happily posing as a myriad of souls of the, the dear departed. Now, two or more intelligences are playing a game with us. There's no question about that. Vying for complete control over our bodies and souls, according to all occult and religious interpretation. It's a seesaw battle, and every possible kind of deception and deceit is being employed by both sides. They can make a individual believe anything that they want us to believe, Thanks to our swollen egos and flimsy brains. They can make us see anything they want us to see thanks to our narrow field of vision. Because remember, we can only see a fragment of the electromagnetic spectrum and their apparent ability to manipulate energy and, uh, and physical matter um, makes it very, very difficult to uh, determine when we're being played for a fool. The parahuman serpent group of the past are still among us. 
It was probably worshipped by the builders of Stonehenge and the forgotten ridge-making cultures of South America. And they directed us to go out and multiply and seed the earth. The uh, Their manifestations and manipulations have generated thousands of cults and religions and frames of reference. In recent years, hundreds of UFO contactees have been warned by the long-haired Venusians our atomic experiments will lead to disaster. Could it be, as some have said, that atomic bombs not only kill cities, but they also kill or disintegrate souls? If the soul's a fragment of energy linked to some greater mass of intelligent energy, then this anti-atomic bomb posture of the ultra-terrestrials could be a defense mechanism on their part. The bomb at Hiroshima may have blown a hole in some of the world beyond our space-time continuum. And a lot of moon food uh, may have uh, been lost in the bargain. Very, very difficult to uh, determine the actual kernel of truth in everything that's thrown at us by contactees. Well, according to skeptics, if flying saucers are real, why don't they contact us? And that's a good question. The truth is, as has been recorded by ancient historians, is also terrestrials have always been in direct contact with millions of individuals that they actually ruled directly over mankind for many years. In recent centuries, their influence has become more subtle, but it's clearly always been there. According to the traditions of many isolated peoples, the first great emperors of Asia were god-kings who came down from the sky, displayed amazing superhuman abilities, and literally just took over. There was a veritable worldwide epidemic of these god-kings between 5,000 and 1,000 B.C. The mighty Osiris and Isis walked the Egyptian valley out of nowhere and assumed command. The myths and legends of Greece and India and South America described their rule. They were taller and more imposing than the, the men of the time, with the long blonde hair, marble-like white skin, and remarkable powers which enabled them to perform literal miracles. They displayed brilliant judgment and wisdom and exercised remarkable organizational ability. In most cases, they chose to reside on the, the higher mountains and hills close by the people that they were um, <coughs> ruling. And they commanded balls of fire and bolts of lightning and traveled about the skies and Unbelievable chariots. In southern Europe, Zeus and his court of phantom cohorts held forth for centuries. In India, a multitude of gods and demons appeared and reappeared generation after generation. Others arrived on the scene and made lasting contributions to folklore from Iceland to Scandinavia. In Central America, the legendary Quetzalcoatl appeared among the Toltecs. He was a, described as a white man dressed in a long white robe covered with tiny red crosses, had a beard, and according to Toltec tradition, introduced science and learning to the natives. 
and after many years of his rule, he simply vanished, promising to return again one day. So when Cortez, the Spanish conquistador, landed in Mexico, a thousand years later, the Indians greeted him with delight, thinking he was Quetzalcoatl. He took advantage of their superstition and destroyed the Aztec Empire. Now, deep in the wasteland of Western Australia, the Aborigines still cling to the ancient myths of the Wundhina and regard as sacred the petroglyphs carved into rocks depicting tall robed figures. They represent a supposedly a, a parahuman group that resided in Australia thousands of years ago. Barosus, an ancient Babylonian priest, recorded the legend of Oannes, a remarkable creature who came out of the waters of the Persian Gulf to educate early men. This legend more nearly fulfills some of our criteria for a genuine contact experience. That's according to Carl Sagan in his uh, work entitled Intelligent Life in the Universe. Barosus presumably had access to cuneiform and pictograph records dating back several thousand years before his time. His work was translated into Greek and Latin and found its way into English in 1876. Um, he quoted from Apollodorus, uh, describing Oannes' official-like animal capable of speaking to men. Well, we're going to talk more about Oannes and uh, some of the other gods and goddesses that were... Uh, cluttering up the landscape in our next show. But for today, we've run out of time. So we'll be back on Monday, same time, same station. And once again, we'll be talking about the gods and goddesses who terrorized our nights and filled our days. Till then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great weekend.